Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. You're so much better than Joe Dante because he doesn't know anything and he pronounces everybody's name wrong. <laughs> so I, you know, that's why I, I let you pronounce Laurent's name. <laughs> uh, so, so what you're saying is uh, if, I'm ever, if I'm ever in the market for a new co-host. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a good voice. He's got a great voice and, and an accent. And, 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 and our guest has a lovely accent too. Uh, we're we're uh, joined this week by Laurent Bouzerou. Uh, who is a, uh, a director, a producer, an author. Um, Laurent, you've, you've, um, th- there's so much stuff. I want to just want to give people a sense if they don't know you, kind of a, um, you're a director producer of uh, Natalie Woodock, uh, What Remains Behind, um, The Remarkable uh, uh, Five Came Back on Netflix. Um, Which is a terrific documentary. Absolutely terrific, yeah. Just, just mm-hmm. essential stuff. Many other fantastic documentaries and many great books. Um, specifically, uh, we should sort of single out this week because of our subject, uh, Alma Hitchcock, the woman behind the man. And uh, Laurent is joining us because there's a new, this is a little bit different, but there's a new um, Alfred Hitchcock uh, box set out from Universal. It's the Alfred Hitchcock Classics Collection, which has got, um, surely 4D is the end of this, right? We don't have to go out now and get 8K, I mean 4K, we're not going to have to get 8K restorations of all our favorite movies, but uh, it's got amazing. 4K, um, Ultra, HD, and Blu-ray uh, restorations. Of so you rear can window. see the rear screen projections better. Exactly. Rear window, Vertigo, Psycho, and The Birds. Um, I confess I haven't, I haven't had a chance to check all of them out yet. So I have not watched the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the brand new Unseen Before Uncut Psycho. Um, have you seen that yet, Joe? Yes, but it's only got an extra like 45 seconds or something. Right, it's 45 seconds from the master. That sounds true. It's uh, great. No, we watched we watched Vertigo the other night, which uh, we've been talking about a lot on the show because it's it's the one Hitchcock film that uh, whose mysteries elude him. The mysteries, and, and and it gets closer every time. I still, I, still I have feel a like, theory. Yes. I, I I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah, please do, please do. I, I have, you know, I have to say, I I, I have several Hitchcock movies that um, I. I don't appreciate as much as everybody else. And Vertigo is one of them. It's always been My brother. a bit of a mystery to me. But strangely enough, Joe and I have history with the writers of Vertigo, the authors of Vertigo. Do you remember, Joe? I brought you a project that- Well, you're a Narsajak. Yeah, Thomas Narsajak had written and we tried to get it off the ground and as usual, you know, it's always developing hell, but that was, the, the highlight was really, um, meeting you and, and talking movies and, and, and all the possibilities. And on one of, one of our meetings, you gave me a poster of, of Matt. You know, you were about to, to start matinee. And I still have that poster, of course, you know, so. Um, well, it'll put your kids through college, believe me. Yeah. That's so much money now. <laughs> now I just have to have kids, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> Use but, somebody else. Uh, uh, you, you, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, that Vertigo has always been an enigma to me because I have two major problems with the film. Um, so should I go off and tell you? No, what no, that's, by all that's means. what we're here yes. for. Yes. Okay. So my first problem is the fact that, this, that Vertigo starts with this you know, crazy chase on rooftops and Jimmy Stewart you know, trips, he's holding on barely to a gutter and, and uh, has this realization that he has Vertigo 
and his fellow cop, you know, comes over, tries to reach out to him, and falls and dies. And then Hitchcock just stays. Then then Hitchcock just stays on Jimmy Stewart, and suddenly fades to black, and and fades in. He is with Barbara Belgides, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, what? How did he get off the roof? There's no one else but a bad guy that's already ahead of him. There's just no way. And my second that, problem, that's your problem. Oh no no hold on. Okay. <laughs> the second problem. The second problem is that later on, after the so-called Madeleine uh, 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 was killed, he just has uh, Mr. Stewart just happens to be strolling in the, on the street and sees a woman who looks just like her but who happens to be actually the same person. And I think the coincidence of that, I, I could never really buy until I rewatched the film for this interview and I discovered a potential answer that is probably gonna have you guys think I'm crazy. So Basically, what happens to Jimmy Stewart as he's hanging on the gutter at the beginning of the film, and the reason why Hitchcock fades to black is because he dies. He lets go and he dies. And the rest of the movie is actually a dream. Jimmy Stewart in purgatory trying to overcome something he was not able to solve in real life. And if you will, God puts him through a test that ultimately he succeeds at the very end. And with that in mind, everything sort of falls into place for me because you can be as illogical. You can have Jimmy Stewart having dreams of animated uh, uh, things. And, you, and, and, and it's interesting because Gavin Elster, for example, uh, when he hires Jimmy Stewart, his office is completely red, which means hell. Oh, and right? the restaurant. And, and the restaurant is completely red. And at the very end, you know, when you have the nun, a nun, very religious, saying, I heard voices, and, and Jimmy Stewart just staring down, I'm, I'm convinced that this was ultimately uh, um, some kind of purgatory that, that Jimmy Stewart was in in order to... to uh, uh, succeed in death what he failed in life. And that's my reconciliation with vertigo. Well, that's and the very, end of this podcast, probably, no. <laughs> that's a very Catholic reading. Uh, and, of course, Hitchcock was a, a practicing Catholic. Well, there you go. So it, it, it's possible that I, I, I could be right, but it is a film that that is uh, that has no that doesn't have his sense of humor uh, um, and I miss that a lot in the film. Of course, Psycho doesn't have, you know, his usual humor in it either, but it is just so uh, um, full of his, uh, it's so full of his thematics that I think it compensates for it. But um, anyways, Josh, what's your problem with Vertigo? Well, I'll solve your problems, although that's an interesting reading. I, I always feel like we, the problem with the reading like that is you can apply it to any movie, really, because they are, after all, all a dream, and they are all taking place in some nether world. But, um, but yeah, the red. You got me with the red. Um, I tend not to worry about things like him hanging because, you know, he's in the middle of the city, and he said, help, and somebody came and got him, I, which is terrible and prosaic. Yours is far more poetic. And then, well, uh, I think also he would, you know, if you asked him, he would say that wouldn't be very interesting to watch. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's why we don't show our characters go to the bathroom. But, Which Hitchcock used to, uh, he used to constantly talk about that. That's, he, I don't like right. to do costume pictures because nobody goes to the bathroom. And, you <laughs> know, nobody ever went to the bathroom in regular movies either. You know, or, or until he, Psycho when he showed a toilet. Yes. Yeah. A big, oh my God, there's a toilet in the movie. But but I'm okay with the bigger one, the, the coincidence, because in a weird way, what's interesting about Vertigo to me, um, one of the many things I like, and I did like it this time better than I did last time, and I'm getting closer to it. And But uh, uh, in a strange way, the, the story begins when he sees her. It's everything else is just precursor to that. And um, I mean, I've always said, it's like you can, 
you can begin your narrative with an absolutely implausible coincidence. You just can't end with it. But my my issue really is more, I think, simple. It just of all of his movies, it's the only one in which uh, there's no the subtext is the text. You know, there's there's it's it's all right there in front of you, and it's all about what's going on inside this character. Um, and I he's just, also he's also not a completely likable character. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, he is madness in trying to recreate her. I would say, you know, he also, I mean, the second she agrees to do any of those things, it's just so obvious that it's her. Yeah. Uh, and just the fact that we're talking about all those things makes me feel that the movie is flawed, as it was recognized to be flawed at the time. I think it's with the year that it's so stylized. You know, I talk about the color red, which is in Gavin Elster's office. It's the color of Jimmy Stewart's uh, front door. It's the color of, of uh, the restaurant. But the color green is the first time he sees Madeline, she's wearing green. The first time he sees Judy Barton, she's wearing green. Madeline's car is green. Um, and ultimately, when he re- recreates her, she comes out of green, a green color. Interesting, uh, yeah. So there's an interesting, and not that there's any symbolic to it, but I think it, it's like he had a way of connecting things either thematically or with colors that made you feel part of the world. And if you felt, oh my God, you know, red and green, that's the vertigo world, right? And, and, and uh, um, everybody talking about mothers, that's the world of psycho. Uh, um, and, and so I, I just find those elements in Vertigo, interesting, albeit, you know, ultimately, and Joe, I, I, I'm curious what you think of that. I always felt that Hitchcock was a very experimental director disguised as a commercial yeah. director. But every single movie he made is an experiment. Um, and, and from even his first talkie was actually a silent film that became a talkie as, as he was filming it, he had to reshoot things. His actress, uh, Annie Andra in blackmail was from Germany or Czech, he did not speak English. And he had to have an actress off screen, literally do the dialogue as he was recording her on screen. Uh, uh, so he was always experimenting and pushing the, the envelope. And he was so far ahead of the curve, which brings us full circle to say that that's why he's so timeless and why we're talking about him today. I don't think it would have worked as well with Vera Miles, though. What, you know, he, he originally wanted it, wanted Vera Miles, yeah. and she got pregnant, and uh, oh. and so she couldn't do it. And, I, and there, 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 there are photos of her made up as as Madeline, and she's she's a good actress, and she's very attractive. But there's some, and and Kim Novak is not as good an actress as Vera Miles, but she doesn't need to be because she is so iconic, and. Um, uh, it's, uh, I, I just, I have, a, I have difficulty imagining that picture working with Vera Miles. Yeah, it's always interesting when you find, when you find out other casting choices and uh, like, you know, Grace Kelly and Marnie, I, as much as I love Grace Kelly, I think T.P. Hedren is absolutely fantastic, dead on, amazing performance in Marnie. I cannot imagine Grace Kelly in this movie at all. At all? Do you? No. So you know, it's just very interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I before we're we're still not even talking about what we're supposed to be talking about, but I want. I know, I know. We're supposed to be talking about Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, we're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be talking about the movies in the set. That's not what we do. But we'll we'll get to this in a minute. But... Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. One particular argument, he ended up dislocating Ava's jaw. <gasps> Ava, she was such a tough cookie. Rather than cry or scream or anything like that, she... Or call she, the police. Or call the police, like she should have, exactly. <laughs> 
Exactly. What does she do? She takes an ashtray and she knocks him over the head and knocks him unconscious. That's how she fought back. She didn't know what to do, so she called Louis B. Mayer. I think I've killed Howard Hughes. What do I do? Revisit a time when the pictures were still big and everyone was ready for their close-up. When you want Tyrone Power instead of Tom Hardy, Jennifer Jones instead of Jennifer Lawrence, or Robert Mitchum rather than Robert Pattinson, then from beneath the Hollywood sign is the gin joint for you. No, I, I, as you're talking, it occurs to me that, like, I think the thing is, in what I consider to be a more, I hate the word, but, you know, a more traditional Hitchcock film, whatever that is, the plot would allow for uh, Jimmy Stewart's makeover of her in a way that was less overtly depraved and perverse. It would be, you know, Cary Grant and, uh, you know, on a mission, and the woman he loves is killed but she's already in with the bad guy. So he's got to make this other woman over into her. And along the way, starts sort of subtly getting in touch with this awful side of himself. It would be more driven by plot. That's not, Whereas, as, that's not as good a movie. No, no, no. But it's, it's more, it's more Hitchcock in the sense that this is just straight up about a guy who's genuinely screwed up in the head doing terrible things to the well, look back at some of the movies i mean a lot of the people in these movies were pretty screwed up in the head you know but, but there's always but there's always a layer of kind of plot and gentility that justifies it until you go back and go oh my god jimmy stewart's just a peeping tom <laughs> you know but this doesn't give you that layer of excuse for his, his ghastly behavior and, and by the way i have to point out that you know hitchcock as as we know his casting was so perfect. I, I I do think that Jimmy Stewart in in Vertigo, Rear Window, The Man You Too Much, and Rope, which are the four movies he yeah. did with he offers anybody who wants to be an actor just has to watch those four movies and gets an incredible diversity of performances. Yeah. He is believable in all of them, and yes, he's annoying in in Vertigo, but that's the the role, not him. Um, um, the, he is, um, I mean, his versatility as an actor is impressive, um, especially with Hitchcock. And he's, he's so willing, uh, uh, as it was for a long time in his period, to, to go into his own darkness, um, yeah. to, play, to play against that sweet guy that we all know and love. Which I, I but he can be funny too, you know, in, yeah. in, in Rear Window. That's the thing. Real Window is as as the black humor from 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 uh, um, Real Window as this kind of wicked humor that Hitchcock is so known for, um, and yet a poor woman is being chopped up across the way. It's interesting. Again, in watching those movies again, I'm so sorry I get excited talking to you guys, but uh, Real Window, Grace Kelly, who who is. Uh, sort of the threat in the movie because she wants to marry Jimmy Stewart and Jimmy Stewart doesn't want to marry her. And he's going to prove to her that she is just not suitable for him and she's going to pro prove to him that she's suitable. And the way that Hitchcock introduces uh, a Grace Kelly in the movie is like oh. a threat. It's a shadow over Jimmy Stewart or you think it's a killer, right? And then suddenly in slow motion you see her kissing him and, 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 and suddenly and they start talking about food instead of sex. Uh, 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 so she's definitely trying to distract him. Uh, but it's so interesting that he introduces her literally as a threat, as a shadow climbing onto him uh, in the same way that Raymond Burr at the end is going to be trying to kill him. Brilliant. Anyway, now, that, now that you've got me thinking of this, also isn't Jimmy Stewart trapped in purgatory in Rear Window as well? Yeah, but <laughs> that time we're in on the joke. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all of this, we're going to cut all of this. It's terrible. I'm, I'm kidding. We're not. Uh, but, but Lauren, you were going to talk about, um, as a Hitchcock lover, some of the movies you wish people gave more attention to. Is that uh, so? Outside those four pictures you're talking about? Or? Well, because those four films are ones in general. I mean, he got made a lot of pictures. Yeah, you, but you know, which... I, I, I'm going to tell you there. Uh, um, there are two movies uh, by Hitchcock that I absolutely love, and that he personally went on record to say he did not like. Oh. So I have to disagree with the master and tell you that two of Hitchcock's favorite movies for me is number one, Dial M for Murder, mm, which sure. uh, like Rope and um, 
uh, real window takes place in you know one setting. Um, I think Dialing for Murder is is absolutely fantastic for the side personal story. Not that anybody says, but you can put it out. I saw the film for the first time in Paris. It was re-released in 3D, uh, and that would have been in the late 70s, maybe. And sitting next to me was director Alain René. And I had my silly glasses on, and I just kept looking at him. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, I'm watching. And he was by himself, and I was by myself. Should I say hi? Should I talk to him? Anyway. The, was he enjoying it? Oh, he was, but oh, and he, you know, there was no uh, uh, discussion. I, I'm just assuming that he did because I loved it so much. Um, my favorite part of the movie is when Ray Milan hires the killer, and he's just such a debonair kind of uh, killer. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Ray Milan plays like such a, a, an easygoing kind of man and husband, full of style. And yet he's plotting this horrible, horrible murder. And there's this great dialogue where he says that he discovered that his wife was cheating on, on him and he spied on her and the lover. And he thought of many ways of killing him. Then I thought of many ways of killing her. And then I saw you. And, 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 and then he turns to the, to, to, to the guy that he's going to hire and blackmail to kill his wife. And then he goes Say that again? The great Anthony Dawson, who was, uh, you know. In, in, Dr. No. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a, a fantastic uh, a movie. And um, I, I just think it's, a, it's a, and the attempt of, of killing, uh, of course, Grace Kelly with the scissors and the, the twist and the whole thing with the keys, the sort of symbolic of objects in Hitchcock. I, I, I just love that. So movie. what did he say that he didn't well, like about it? Yeah. Oh, Hitchcock said, I could have, I could I could have phoned this one in, <laughs> literally. Well, but he's working in 3D. I mean, he'd never worked in 3D before. And it's, it's, it, I, I've done 3D movies and they're not like doing regular movies. And, and it's one of the best 3D movies ever made because it really uses the space dramatically yeah. in, in ways that most 3D movies didn't care to do. I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I just think that, uh, you know, Hitchcock was famous for saying that he was bored during the shooting of, of a movie and maybe this was either too technical for him and, and, and got in the way of him enjoying perhaps the performances. It's also based on a play um, and, and maybe like the text was maybe too literal and, and he didn't feel he had his imprint on it. Who knows? But he always spoke of it in, in uh, nasty terms and I never quite understood why because um, I, I watched that film. It's one of the Hitchcock films that I watched the most. I'm, I'm very comfortable with that film. I feel That's like it. I'm visiting an old friend. Uh, um, I know pretty much everything about it, and uh, I love it. Um, I, I, I love it, too, and I, I remember um, it may have been on that same tour because I was a kid, and I think it played the Tower Theater in Philadelphia, which we occasionally show movies, and they showed it in 3D, and I'd seen it on TV before. And I remember noticing... I mean, it's, it's, you can't help but that amazing shot with her reaching for the scissors feels like the one moment where the movie just gloriously embraces its, its three dimensions. And it's so beautifully used. Um, it, it just knocked me out. It was a film I'd seen three or four times before, and I knew what was coming, but I wasn't quite prepared for that. But in terms of, I mean, I would definitely call myself a Hitchcock lover, not even remotely, and certainly not in this company, a Hitchcock scholar. But am I wrong? My understanding is that there are actually scenes in great Hitchcock films that he literally phoned in that he would design and then not be there or is that well bruce stern said told me that he um he would just sit in the car and he'd tell bruce what to do and and bruce would go off and set it up and everything and hitch would call action from the car and they'd do the scene and then they'd, they'd get back in the car and go but that i think that was more toward the end of his career okay you know in, in the birds when they uh, when rod taylor and tippy hedren go up on that hill which is obviously a studio set uh the uh, they could have easily shot that in Santa Rosa where they were shooting the rest of the picture, but he didn't want to climb the hill. <laughs> but you know what, Joe? You know, what I love about that scene is that it embraces the artifice of cinema. Yeah. Well, he always does. You, that's, one of his, that's one of his hallmarks. Exactly. And, and, and I love that scene because, again, the whole 
point of the birds is for Lydia, Rod Taylor's mother, played by Jessica Tandy, to embrace T.P. Hedren, to accept her. And when they go up on that hill with the dunes before the, the attack on the kids, what did they talk about? About T.P. Hedren's mother. And I, I think that's just so touching. And for me, suddenly it becomes a play. It becomes something else. And the fact that it's a painted backdrop and that it's so obvious really catches my attention even more as opposed to, oh, you know, the elements, it's, it's a normal scene. I think that Hitchcock maybe didn't want to climb up the hill, but I think he wanted that scene to stand out and to make the audience feel like, pay attention. This is different. This is, this is not a regular dialogue scene. Let's wait for the, the birds to start, start attacking them. Uh, um, and when they and, and when they see Marnie and see what her mother really is like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're companion pieces. You know that. I, I feel like you know. I saw the birds after after it first came out, but you know, Joe at at that time, I'm I'm always fascinated by that because as a kid, I would watch these films, and you know, occasionally you'd think about it, and you'd go, obviously, that's some sort of artificial thing, but it didn't connect in the way it does today, where we're such we've been so ruined by. CG that if it's slightly off, we get annoyed, and now we go back and we look at great old films and we go, "Oh, it's so fake." But in 1963, you're sitting in the theater watching The Birds. You're perhaps acknowledging that that shot is fake and is a painting, but is it disrupting you in any way? It's just it's kind of washing over you, right? Well, it depends on how how it depends on how people took uh, that kind of artifice. You know, they were used to rear, rear screen projection. Almost every car. Mm -hmm. scene in a movie was rear screen projection and people yeah, kind of got used to it but right. then a younger generation came up and i remember uh when i was in uh, santa rosa actually shooting uh, explorers we went to see body double and there was a scene where craig wasson is driving around and it's and it's a rear screen shot and the kid behind me goes fake fake and that's and, intentional and, and, and well i know but the whole idea is that you know they, yeah. they look they look for the strings Right, and they look for they look for the the mat lines. They look for what's wrong so that they can feel superior. Right, um, but and now you know the technology has gotten so much better uh, that you can actually do pretty convincing um, fake you know driving and things like that in movies and and and, and get away with it. But uh, but that to me that's always was always part of the appeal of movies was that it wasn't yeah. real. Yeah. You know? And, I and the honestly, birds, I you know, was the birds was was not, you know, it was a big hit, but it was it, audiences laughed at it, uh, not because it didn't have good special effects. They laughed at it because of the absurdity of the, of the birds, of the birds, and the plot. And so uh, I was always astonished that every I saw the picture a couple of times when it was in theaters, and but kids, people laughed every time. The more kids got eaten, more the more they laughed. But I mean, that's also Hitchcock having fun too. So. But, 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 you know, I'm going to tell you something, Joe, that's interesting in light of your comment. I, I lived in New York in the 80s, and there was a movie theater on the west side, a fairly big movie theater. can't remember the name of it, but they had a month of a Hitchcock festival. And it was a big screen. It wasn't like one of those little ratty theaters. It was a big screen. And they showed the birds, and it was packed. And only one scene got a laugh. Only one scene. And I'll tell you which one, because that really shocked me that people were daring to laugh at this movie, which happens to be one of my favorites, is when T.P. Hedren is uh, uh, with Suzanne Plachette uh, at night and they're chatting and suddenly they hear a bang against the door and they open it and there's a dead seagull. And, and she said, oh, she must have gotten lost in the night, but it's not... But it's, uh, and, and T.P. Hedren said, but it's almost, uh, it's almost daytime or it's almost, uh, it's a full moon. She said, but it's a full moon. And then they look at each other and fade to black. And people laughed out loud like she had <laughs> said a joke. And I didn't understand that because I felt like, I think it was not so much the line, it's a full moon, Annie. It was the fact that they paused and mechanically kind of look at each other and then fade to black, you know? Because you wonder, what, what happens after that? What do they talk about? Right. <laughs> so, uh, that, but the rest of the movie didn't get a laugh. It was, I remember applause at the end, like, like amazing. 
So I think it's a movie that has aged very, very well. Has a psycho rear window and to some degree vertigo uh, because I solved the riddle of the movie, as we know. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this is why we go back to them. This is why we go back again and again. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. So what are the, so Dallin Promoter is one of the ones that oh, you okay. said he didn't like. Yeah. Okay. So the other one, the second one that I love, and I discovered later on, I discovered it actually in the early 90s. Uh, I had, it's one that had not been re-released probably because Hitchcock didn't like it. It's Stage Fright with Jane Wyman and Marlena Dietrich and Richard Todd. And that movie is, is first of all, extremely uh, funny. It has also Alistair Sim, who was, you know, uh, uh, Christmas Carol, Alistair Sim. Always great. Um, amazing British actor. Um, and um, it has a great plot, but Hitchcock notoriously, uh, um, in fact, to Truffaut in his famous book, said, I do not like that movie because I lied to the audience. I actually showed a flashback all oh, right, I remember, yes. Him, that turned out to be a lie. Yeah. And yeah. how can I show a flashback that's a lie? And I said, oh, you know, so he kind of denounced the movie. Um, I think that, uh, first of all, um, I, I could say to him, well, then Psycho is a lie because the person who is killing Janet Lee, who's supposed to be Tony Perkins, is actually not played by Tony Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> the voice of mother is not Tony Perkins pretending to be mother. Uh, uh, um, so you're lying to the audience there as well. Um, so I think he was very unjust on that movie because uh, Malina Dietrich is fantastic. There's a lot of humor in it. Um, and he has this great, a fantastic shot, which he did also in The Wrong Man where the camera is out on the street and somebody goes into a house and pushes the door, but the camera has gone in with them. So you know that when he pushes the door, he's actually, there's no door. And it's just, it's just amazing. Right. I, I, I love, love, love that movie. Let me, because it's been a long time since she's stage fright. Um, what, what is the context of the flashback? Is it, is it an actual, is it the authorial voice showing us this or is it recreating what someone is telling us? It's recreating what the killer wants uh, Jane Wyman to believe happened. Got it. Uh, so, so, so he is kind of lying to us. Yeah, he's completely lying. And you see it played out. Uh, um, and at the end, he said, I hated to tell you that lie. Right. <laughs> and Hitchcock is saying, I, hate, I hated to show you that lie, right? Yeah. Um, but I just think it's cinema. I, I don't even think about it. I Until... It, until I read uh, uh, Hitchcock's quote about it, I, I, I thought he was very unfair on the movie. So those are the two movies that I really love and, and Hitchcock hates. And there are three other movies that I really love that are, I think, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say forgotten, but not necessarily quoted um, as often as others. They're not replacing Citizen Kane as the best movie ever made on big lists, in other words. Like Vertigo did. Like Vertigo did, yes. <laughs> Um, I would say that Marnie, people are very unfair to it. Um, um, I think it has some incredible benchmark sequences in it, don't you think? Like the, the shoe falling from her pocket as she's robbed the safe. And, and I mean, there's some really great moments. But I would say that also T.P. Hedren uh, uh, delivers a great performance in that movie. Do you agree? Yeah, and uh, according to her, it was, you know, um, at, at great cost. Yeah. Um, rope, I think, is one that's not often talked about. Well, you know, for a long time it was unavailable. Wasn't seen, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think Rope is a very interesting film, again, uh, has great performances, and, and is very um, underrated. Um, great dialogue, a lot of humor, beautifully done in one shot. So yeah, that was that part from that group that um, I'm, I'm of the generation that that uh, those re-releases in late 70s, early 80s? Early 80s. Early, early 80s, 80s, when they re-released um, Rear Window, Vertigo, Rope, Trouble with Harry. And, in, in really and crappy looking prints. The Man Who Knew Too Much. <laughs> and but these were all movies we had heard about. 
And well, they'd been out and, of circulation since, because yeah. uh, he owned them. And they just, you could not see. And for me, the big, um, I mean, obviously the, the, the big takeaway was, was rear window, which was everything you had heard and, and then some. And I probably saw three times at a theater the week it came out. But, but Rope was the one that, um, to your point, Lauren, we had been kind of led to believe was the least of the five. And I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved, I loved it as a film. I loved it as an experience. I loved going back and seeing it again and just watching how it's done, looking for the, the non-cut cuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, the, and again, the performances of, of, yeah. of Jimmy Stewart is incredible. And uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's a really, I love Sir Cedric Hardwick. Do you love him? Yeah. Uh, you know, he had been in suspicion also. So I, there was like tons of little things that, 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 it was just uh, fantastic. Well, what's really interesting is that John Dahl and Farley Granger, who are, are playing gay lovers, were not out then, yes. you know, but they, they were. Uh, and they're terrific in it. Terrific. And, and written by Arthur Lawrence and Hume Cronin. Yeah. Gets credit for, for writing. So it's a really um, great film. And I would say, though, the, I mean, I know you said five, I think, but um, there are two others that I think are, are un, un, underappreciated or not appreciated at all. One is Torn Curtain. I, I, I realize it's a very flawed, flawed movie, but not unlike Marnie, it has such great set pieces in it. From a, 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 a cinematic standpoint, it stands out to me. Um, the biggest despair of the film is the fact that Bernard Herrmann composed an incredible score, uh, pretty much as, as powerful and as great as North by Northwest, a very kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say similar, but in the same uh, uh, vein. And, and as we know, Hitchcock and Herrmann had a falling out and the score was replaced. And the film, I think, lost a voice. Well, that wasn't due entirely to Hitchcock because he was, he was in the thrall of Lou Wasserman and MCA at the time. And he was even a shareholder. And uh, the studio did not like the score, and they they wanted him to get rid of it. And I don't I don't know what his feeling about the score was. He must have, he must have thought it was probably pretty good, since all the other scores that Herman did for him are great. Uh, and he and I think to, to he capitulated and let and let them have their way because they were holding the first strings. Yeah, and I I do think that I I read somewhere that they did have an argument where Hitchcock tried to convince Herman to do a poppy kind of. Yeah, and he didn't uh, want to uh, do it. Scoring, didn't want to do it. And I think that that was heartbreaking for Herman because, as you know, then he left America, I believe, and, and um, uh, they never worked together again, which, which was heartbreaking. But the film has a lot of interesting moments in it. Oh, that yeah, I, yeah. Uh, um, and the last one uh, is his last movie, Family Plot, that I think is funny and I think has incredible dialogue. And I think it's a great curtain call for him. Um, and I saw it, I was super young, I lived in France, but I saw it in France when it came out in the theaters. That's the only Hitchcock movie I saw uh, uh, on its release um, uh, was Family Plot, Complot de Famille, as we say in French. And I got the posters and I had all the lobby cards, which I still have. And I just, uh, I just, I just love that experience. So there you go. Well, I got I want to do the yeah, to both of those. Um, Torn Curtain, I remember seeing it was one of those ones that you were, you know, had been led to believe was on par with, with dare we even say Topaz? You know, is that a, is that like saying Hamlet in the theater? But um, I loved it. I loved it. Mac and, uh, Macbeth in the theater. Macbeth. Good Lord. <laughs> well, I was, I was hoping people would come to that without me actually saying it. Um, the Scottish play, Joe, the Scottish play. Uh, and, um, but the scene, you know, the scene where they have to kill the guy yeah. quietly is just, it, it's, I, I don't know, it stayed with me forever. I think and, there, and, there's, the and there's no music in it. There's no music and it, <laughs> it gets across, I mean, there's so much going on there and so much real sort of horror, the horror of actually killing <clears throat> in what feels like endlessly, slowly moving real time is just one of the most incredible sequences I think he's ever done. And, yeah, um, uh, it's fantastic. I agree. It's uh, 
I, I love that. It's all, a, you know, she doesn't know who to, <laughs> you know, they're moving so much, she, she's not going to be able to. She doesn't to know what to do, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very, because she doesn't succeed in killing him, and, 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 and it just hurts. That movie, that scene really hurts. Yeah, yeah. And even though he's a nobody and you're a bad guy and you're perfectly fine with him, you know, if Paul Newman had just shot him in a gunfight, you'd be fine with his death. It's, <laughs> um, it's very powerful. But I did, I did see Family Plot about a year and a half ago at the New Beverly when they, they brought it there. And I had not seen it since it came out. I was a child. And, and um, I, I don't know, Lauren. I, 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 you said some amazing things. I don't think I've ever felt the need to say to a guest, are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I so wanted to love it. I so wanted to find moments of joy in it. Oh, I, I'm, I, I'm glad you did. I'm genuinely glad you did. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that a lot of um, love of certain movies has to do with nostalgia. as we know. Sure. And, and uh, having that theater experience of the event that was the release of Family Plot. Right. Particularly... You know, because the French loved him, and, and I know you guys loved him too, but, you know, we were the first ones to, to quote him as a no-tur, uh, also a French word. Uh, uh, and and uh, um, I, I, just, I just thought it was, um, I just thought it was great fun. And uh, um, I think the performances of Bruce Dern and William Devane, Karen Black, Barbara Harris, they're oh, I just, just so funny. And... And of course, you know, the story goes that uh, William Devane was originally played by Roy Thinnes and Hitchcock and him did not get along. And there's still a couple of shots in the movie in the, when they kidnap the, the, the bishop in, in, the, um, in the church, mm -hmm. that, that, that's Roy Thinnes. Uh, but What's you remember, uh, uh, Joe, uh, uh, I wonder if you remember that famous photo of Hitchcock and he's surrounded by his cast of Family Plot. That's a, such a famous photo. And I found in the archives at Universal the exact same photo, but we were in it. Oh, wow. So he wow. was in the film for a few weeks and they reshot the film. Uh, uh, they reshot the scenes, you know, um, uh, with William Devane, who's fantastic. By the way, I'm looking at that photograph right now. Yeah. The magic of the internet. Look at that. Wow, that's funny. Too bad it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe, you were silent during Family Plot. Where, where are you? Uh, I like Family Plot. In fact, if you want to hear my, my thoughts, oh my God, you can I'm go so to the Trailers and Hall website and look up my commentary on the Trailers and <laughs> Family Plot and Trailers. This, this is why we have a podcast, so people cannot listen to Joe talk about things here. What do you give it? It's... Um, it's, uh, it's 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 I think it's lesser Hitchcock, but it's you know the guy was in his eighties and yeah. uh, he got he got it made and then he had he had some other things he wanted to make that were pretty interesting, but he never got around to them. But he did get supported uh, in his old age by MCA uh, after you know cowing towing to them for so long, much like you know Kubrick did and with Warner Brothers and you know it, it's if you have somebody who's sort of sponsoring you. Um, you know, they let you, Jack Arnold in his later years, they allowed him to develop things they knew he was never going to make because he wasn't going to live long enough. So, I mean, there is a, a side to corporate culture that it can be, um, you know, human. Uh, and, and I think that, uh, I think it's kind of benefited from it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And to our, to our great benefit as well, I would say. Um, well, Lauren, thank you so much for, uh, coming in and talking to us about, um, Many movies that aren't on the new Hitchcock set, but some that are as well. But will be soon. And yeah, but will be soon. For those of you who haven't seen Foreign Correspondent or Young and Innocent or oh. Trouble with Harry, oh. these are movies, these are essential movies to see. Yeah. Yeah. Correspondent, I, I, okay, here's, here's a pop quiz, and, and I didn't prep any before. Is there a Hitchcock movie that's just worth avoiding? Yes. <laughs> it's worth avoiding? Walters <laughs> from Vienna. <laughs> no, there's one that's worse, Joe. There's one that's way worse, uh, Under Capricorn. That's unwatchable. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It, it I mean, really I think that's bad. like Hitchcock saying, I have to make one absolutely <laughs> awful, awful movie in my career, and that's going to be it. And he didn't like it either. He said, you know, it was a costume movie, and, and he kept wondering, how do people go to the bathroom with, uh, you know? It obviously took them a long time, but I think that was part of the Eric Palmer, Charles Lawton, 
thing where they were trying to, you know, put together a company and uh, yes. they, they, they dragooned him into this story that, and Marina Hara is one of her early pictures because uh, she was a, a Lawton's protege. No, no, but you're thinking of Jamaica Inn. Oh, that's right. That's okay. That's okay. I was talking about undercover. This is with Joseph Cotton, right? Joseph Cotton and Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. I love correcting the master. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of movies and they're all floating around in the same place. I know. Trust me. They Trust are. Me. But there's four of them on this. Uh, it's the Alfred Hitchcock Classics collection. I really, I could not believe how good Vertigo looked. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I took a quick look at some of the others, and I think probably going to watch The Birds tonight. But um, oh, well, it's about time because, you know, for when they, when they first went into reissue in the 80s, uh, yeah. they were, you know, the Technicolor pictures, they came from Eastman negatives, and they looked kind of thin, and they really didn't look so hot. They were orange, and, and, uh, and it was disappointing, frankly. Um, and, and now over the years, the technology has improved to the point where you can actually go back to those if you get close to the original materials, you can actually make it look pretty damn good, and in some cases, better than it did better. when it was new. Yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, it's interesting because you start seeing things uh, when it's so sharp, and I'm not talking about wig lines. Uh, um, you start seeing things uh, with a different eye. Like I never noticed really in Psycho when she is when she's throwing the money and she's at home, and now she's dressed in black, right after being dressed in white, and there is a shower right behind her is the bathroom and the tub is actually dark and it's almost like i'm like ooh, oh, really? right wow yeah and, and i i i was blown away by some of the stuff i started noticing uh that um i think it has to do with the fact that it's no longer uh it's so sharp uh, uh that well you uh, could see all the stuff in his room now you know, yeah. which are which is really interesting. All the bric-a-brac and the the art direction and stuff, and then on the, the the stuffed birds and you know, and the, really... and all the paintings in his room are women being assaulted. Yeah, there are three paintings, and it's all of women being assaulted, and it's just about to do the same. And so there's a lot of foreshadowing. It's almost like saying, Janet Lee. Can't you see? Can't you read the signs? But that's why I, that's why I was sort of surprised when you said you didn't think there was a lot of humor in Psycho because I think I think there's a lot of funny stuff in it. There's a there's a shot of Tony Perkins walking up the stairs that is actually hilarious if you if you know what the story is. And that's why when you see the picture the second time and you know how it ends, it's still a great movie. I, I no, I agree. I, I think it's it's humor that's much more subtle as opposed to the humor in Rear Window, which are literal yeah. jokes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Thelma Ritter. Thelma Ritter, yeah, of course. The, 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 the humor of, uh, of, of, of Psycho is in the nuances and is in uh, the experience. I don't think that a lot of people were laughing at the first screening of Psycho ever in 1960. Hey, listen, they didn't laugh at the first screening of Dr. Strangelove either. <laughs> well, that was a problem. It takes a little time. That was a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Lauren, thank you so much uh, for thank joining you. us. This has been such a blast because, I, like, I really am. I'm a, I'm a, like I say, a Hitchcock lover, not a scholar, and um, uh, just listening to you guys. Talk. And, listen, I'm not a scholar either. I, I, it's just uh, comes. It just plays one on TV. Well, you're, you're, you're closer to that than I am. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's watching those films over and over and being so inspired since I was a kid. Uh, um, I'll just close with this one story because. Yes. Uh, a psycho was uh, rated X basically in France. Under 18, you could not go see it, even accompanied by someone. And the month I turned 18, they re-released uh, Psycho in the theaters. Mm -hmm. It was almost done just exclusively for me. I was crushed when I it. <laughs> but I went to see Psycho for the first time when I turned 18 on the Champs-Élysées in a movie theater. I was by myself. It was 2.30 on a Wednesday. I remember everything about it. And, and that movie just underlined, just underlined for me, I want to, to, be, in, I want to be part of this uh, cinematic, you know, industry and, and uh, what an incredible language the camera is, what an incredible pencil, you know, to, to, to a frame is the camera. And, and it was such a, a, an awakening for me. And of course, I already loved movies, but, but this was a movie from the 60s and now we were way in the 70s and, and, and I was like, 
wow, this is crazy. This is, this is still an amazing film. So I hope people watching it today will feel the same way I did. Yeah. Yeah. So they will if they can, and now they have a, a nice way of doing it. They can, they can see a nice, if they have a 4k TV, which I don't know who has, does anybody, do you have one? Does anybody have a 4k TV? No. That's why they put the Blu-ray in there. That's right. <laughs> all, all I know is that someday, is this possible? We will look back at 4k the way we now look back at VHS and go, I, I can't believe we put up with that, that garbage. The, the next step, I think, is us inside the movie. Well, I was thinking about this the other day. No, you know what I think it is? I think, I think the next step is you can hear their thoughts. No, no. Yeah. They, just, they, just, they, they just pipe it right into your eyeballs. <laughs> I, I, I do think that the definition on, on Rear Window is so incredible that it almost feels like a 3D movie. Yeah. Uh, and by the nature itself of the thematic of he is in his room, and then there's a courtyard, and then there's everybody uh, he's looking at, watching. It's like that three dimension, figuratively, literally, thematically, it's, it's, it's there. So it's almost another version of uh, Dial M for Murder, except he liked Rear Window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I, I did. Have you looked at the, um, the uh, what was, there's a, is it a time lapse that somebody put up where they took all the shots of the view from Jimmy Stewart's room? and built the entire Vista outside his window. Oh, wow. Yes, that is off on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, go to YouTube oh, or Vimeo and look up. Yeah, there are a lot of, now, that, now with the COVID, there's a lot of people with time on their hands. Exactly, I think it's called Rear Window Time-Lapse, and it, it's, it's mind-blowing. Oh, I'll check it out. Take a look at it. Yes. All right, thank Thanks you so much for joining us. It's See been you. a pleasure. I can't wait to watch right. the birds tonight. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for The Movies That Made Me. Stay safe out there, folks. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.